Fellas, what's next Sunday? A couple of you passed. The rest of you need to retake the test. We're trying to help you out here, brothers. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. Yeah, don't forget that. You got a whole week. And she saw you get reminded just now. Don't fail this test. Put a string around your finger. Put an alarm on your phone. Do something. But next week is Mother's Day. Don't miss next week. We have some surprises that we uh, will be honoring mothers with. But the service is also going to be very special. We've got some special guest speakers that's going to be coming and sharing a testimony. So don't miss next Sunday. But the Sunday after that, I'm going to begin a new series. What's the word for this year that God gave us? Unhindered. And this is the trailer for the new series. That is the new series that we're going to be beginning. God has given me, I believe, some revelation about why it is that things happen the way that they happen. Uh, the reason that we stay uh, locked up, the reason that we don't have the moves of God, the miracles. That Am I missing some lights here? Because I feel like y'all are really, really dark. Um, and I'm completely blind. There we go. Praise Jesus. And there was light. And it was good. I believe God's given me some special revelation about why it is that we pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. The hindrances. And, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a, a precursor to it because some of you won't like it. It's not that you're a victim. It's not that the devil has abused you or other people have held you back. The hindrances that I'm going to be speaking on for several weeks are all inside of you. They're things that you have adopted, things that you practice, or things that you believe that has hindered you. We know God is not hindered. Job 42 and 2 is our scripture for the year. We know that God is not hindered. So if God's plan is being hindered, if his will is being hindered, if his purpose is being hindered, what's hindering it? It can't be him. It has to be us. So this morning, though, I'm going to preach a, a sermon that God gave me um, uh, Special insight to several, several weeks ago, actually toward the beginning of the year, so it's been a few months now, and I've been working on it and, and fleshing it out, and I actually just finished it this morning. My sermon this morning is called Finding God in Hard Places, and, and I realize that there's probably someone sitting here this morning, and you know that you're in a hard place, and, and sometimes it's easier to find the things that are against us than it is find God in the middle of it. I'm going to begin this morning in Romans chapter 8. Now, I'm a word nerd. I, I love the Word of God, but I don't just love to read the Word and then forget about it. Like, I, I love the Word of God. Everything I do, it, it, it's not just my guidebook for living. Like, like, I enjoy reading the Word. Some people have to make themselves read the Bible. I don't have to do that. The way some people watch television, I get into the book of Numbers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I could tell there was not one amen in the whole room for the book of Numbers. So we're sorry, Lord, that we feel that way about your word, that uh, we repent today. Uh, so I, I just, I, lo I enjoy getting into the word. I, I love getting revelation. And pr if you had to ask me one chapter in the entire book, Bible that is my favorite chapter, it's Romans chapter 8. 
Now, if you've been in a church, I don't know all of your stories. I don't know all of your backgrounds. I don't know where you came from. I don't know where you've been and spending most of your days. But I know if you've been around or in a church like this one that preaches the whole gospel, you know a lot of the verses out of Romans chapter 8. The very first verse says, There is therefore no condemnation to them but you are in Christ Jesus. Comma, who if you were here a few months ago, you know what that is. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Then there's a lot of verses in there about how the law could never save us, and that's why we needed Jesus. Uh, you know this verse: For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. You know this verse. So then, that they are in the flesh cannot please. God, you know this verse, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit. You know this verse, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, see, you know these verses. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, so that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The suffering you're going through right now doesn't compare to the glory that's waiting on you. Amen. You know verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities because we don't know how to pray, right? But the Spirit prays through us with groanings that we don't even understand. You know verse 28. You better know Romans 8 and 28. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we know that how many things? All things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. You know verse 40, 31, whether you know that it's verse 31 or not, you know this verse. And what shall we say to these things? For if God be, who can be? Yeah, you may not know the verse, but you know the verse. Amen. But what I'm going to teach this morning is from Romans 8, 35 through 39. Oh, that was my introduction. You didn't pay me for that. Romans, 35, or, uh, Romans 8, 35 says this. Who shall separate us? Stop right there. So Paul has spent 34 verses telling you that the law could never save you. You needed Jesus. He, he's telling you that the Holy Spirit prays through us. In other words, God has given us everything we need to live for him. That, he spent 34 verses just trying to drill that into our, into our spirit. And then in verse 35, he says... After knowing all of that, after having all that information, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he asked this question, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, you know this verse too, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul asks a very simple question that you need to answer today. Who or what is able to separate you from the love of God? And God's answer is nothing. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, that's worth praising. And, I, and I'll tell you why it's worth praising. I grew up in the old church where we were taught every Sunday we need to get resaved again because we were, everything was separating us from the love of God. Every stupid thing I did, and I did some dumb, dumb stuff. And, and every stupid thing I did, every bad decision I made, it, it would separate. It's like God was done with me. He was, I was a piece of trash, and he was just throwing me over in the corner. And I have to get resaved every Sunday. Every time you go to youth camp, you get resaved. Every time you go to Winterfest, you get resaved. Every time you come to Sunday school, you get resaved. Because you're always making mistakes. I hate to inform you, but I checked your backs from up there. Ain't none of you sprouting wings yet. You're all flawed. You all make mistakes. If you, Some of you made four before you had your first cup of coffee this morning. But, but Paul was teaching us in this chapter that Christ paid the penalty for all your mistakes. And he died once and for all. And you don't have to crucify yourself for something he already died for. So he says here, he asks the questions. Now, notice he does not say what can separate you from the blessings. Because you can be separated from your blessings. You, you can be separated from eternity. You, you can be separated from people. And you, you can even be separated from God. But you won't ever be separated from his love. Because he loves you all the day long. Not because of who you are, but because of what Jesus did for you on your behalf. So God says absolutely nothing. But then Paul gives us a very specific list. I'm going to go break it down for you. He says there are things that are going to happen in your life that's going to try to intimidate you into believing that they are strong enough to tear you away from God. And they will make your life so hard that it will be difficult for you to find God in that hard place. And here's the list. Ready to go through it? He says, shall tribulation. Tribulation is trouble with the world. Mm. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the world has lost its ever-loving mind. I used to think I was crazy. I, when, when some people come, if you're brand new here and this is the first time you've seen me, and you're like, he don't even dress like a preacher. Listen, I used to think I was out there. <laughs> But now the world has left and went, I mean, they're on another planet, they are so wackadoo, that I'm now like, I'm totally normal. Like, ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm <laughs> when Gooch does, that's, that's a whole other, another sermon for another time. So, so, so he says, you're going to have trouble with the world. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, since March of 2020, the church has found out how much the world really hates us. The, 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 the world, the Bible tells us, Jesus very distinctly told us, in this world you will face tribulation. But don't worry about it, I've already overcome it. And when he was praying for his disciples, he said, I pray that you will keep them from 
the evil one, but I'm not going to pray that you take them out of here. I'm going I'm to ask that you keep them right in the middle of the trouble, but keep them from falling to the evil one. So in other words, we're going to have world trouble. Then he says, distress. Shall tribulation, shall distress. Distress is trouble that you can see. It's visible trouble. This is the place where you look at the trouble every day and you don't see an answer. It's when you're balancing your checkbook and you see the negative. And no matter how much faith you no matter how much faith you have, no matter how many times you speak in tongues, no matter how many scriptures you've memorized, no matter how many uh, sweaty cloths you've ordered from Jimmy Swaggart Ministries, that negative number is still there. It is distressful. It is distressful to come out of an oncologist's office with a paper in your hand that is giving you a diagnosis that you are not asking for. It's stressful. It's right there. It's distress. It's in your face. And it's something that you cannot find an answer to. He says, shall that separate you from the love of God? How about persecution? Persecution is not trouble from the world. Persecution is trouble from people. People will persecute you. And hear me, it's not always your enemies. Sometimes it's folks you marry to. God help you, it is sometimes your offspring. Sometimes the biggest pro troublemakers you got, <laughs> you gave life to them. Which makes you realize why some animals eat their young. You stick around here too long. <laughs> he says, so shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution. How about famine? Famine is a supply problem. Okay, famine is when you got more month than you got money. Famine is when you tithe but you still can't pay your bills. Famine, famine is when you give and give and give and never receive from other people. Like you, you give into the relationship, but you'll never get back what you sow. That, that, that's a famine issue. Can I tell you that God promises He will always supply your need? He, he promises he will always be enough. Can I hear an amen from somebody? That's why stuff should never regulate your spiritual temperature. Because stuff will come and go, but God is eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he promises you. You know what? David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging bread. What kind of king would God, this, I ain't even got time to preach this, but what kind of king would God be if he let his kids go out begging for bread and he did not supply their needs? See, what God says, if you become mine, I become your king, I become ruler over your life, I am obligated to make sure that I take care of you. And then he says, lastly, he says, so famine, how about peril? Peril is health issues, body troubles. So when you face some sort of sickness, does that mean God has stopped loving you? I actually could have used this as my first sermon for unhindered because one of the reasons that people are hindered is because something bad happened to them and it can started convincing them that God doesn't love them because if God is so good, 
Why is this sickness happening to me? Why is this sickness happening to my child? Why is this sickness? In, uh, why did I sit by my mama's bed and watch her pass away? More on that in another sermon uh, in this series. But Paul gives us a, a groundwork to start here with. He says, all of these things are realities. And I'm going to tell you something that most preachers don't say from pulpits. It makes life hard. Yes, admit it. It's okay. I know most preachers say, you got to have great faith and not admit. No, no, no. Life is hard sometimes. It's better than it used to be because I've got Jesus Christ to lean on and I'm not doing life alone anymore. But when you're facing hard places, when you're facing peril, when you're facing distress, when you're facing famine, life is hard. It's harder without the Holy Ghost. It's harder without His Word and His promises. But make no mistake about it, this is hard. Look at your neighbor and tell him, this is hard. Yeah. Hey, listen, listen, listen. I'm blessed. Do you hear me? I don't want you to leave here with a false sense. I'm blessed. And it's hard. Two things can be true at the same time. I'm blessed. I'm walking in blessing. There are days that so much favor goes out ahead of me, I get my George Jefferson strut on. I'll be like, devil don't want to mess with me today. Not Today is not the day, devil. And then, in that same season, sometimes in that same day, life gets hard. So, so don't ever think because you're saved, you can't admit, life is hard. This season is hard. This day is hard. This moment is hard because you're going to come to some hard places. My sermon this morning is to help you find God in the middle of them. And there's an example in the Old Testament that I'm going to leave uh, enough room for the rest of this sermon to be encapsulated within this entire story. Back in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, there is a story about a man named Jacob. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to go too deep into this story, but Jacob was on the run from his own brother. Jacob had conned his brother out of his birthright which was valuable. When I say valuable, I mean in our day and age, millions upon multiplied millions of dollars, and he had conned his brother out of it. I'll be preaching on that in a few weeks. Jacob is on the run because, as you might imagine, his brother is a little miffed. His brother's a little upset, and he is trailing Jacob, and Jacob is scared that if his brother catches him, you know what older brothers do when they catch you with something that don't belong to you and belong to them? So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 28 that Jacob left Beersheba and he goes toward Haran. Now, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. He comes to a certain place. He'd been running all night and the sun's about to come up. And the Bible says that he laid down to go to sleep. Not in a house, not in a hostel, not in a hotel. He lay down on the ground, and in order for him to lay his head down, he gathered some rocks. Say a hard place. Mm. He gathered some rocks and used the rocks as a pillow. And the Bible says he laid there until he had a dream. And in the dream, there was a ladder right there where he was, and that ladder stretched from earth to heaven. And on that ladder, there were angels coming down and going up. 
Your King James says, ascending and descending. There's angels leaving heaven and coming to earth. And angels leaving earth and going back up to heaven. And at the top of the ladder was the Lord. And the Bible says that he announced himself. He stood at the top of the ladder and he said, I am the God of your grandfather Abraham and of your father Isaac. That's what he said. Pay attention to that because I'm going to come back to it. God announced himself at the top of the ladder. The bottom of the ladder was here where Jacob is. Are you tracking me? So the top of the ladder is where God is. The bottom of the ladder is where Jacob is laying in a hard. And verse 16 says, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, this hard place, Surely the Lord, and I knew it not. Does that sound like anybody else in this room? Does it ever occur to you that when your life gets put in a hard place, when you need the Lord the most, He is the most difficult to find? That's what Jacob said. He said, the Lord was always here in this hard place, but I didn't know it. I came to wake some people up this morning who are just like Jacob. You asleep in a hard place. Not because you chose to. This is not where Jacob wanted to be. Jacob was positioned here. As a matter of fact, God has positioned Jacob in an undesirable place. Why? Why? Why does God allow hard places? Because he wants to reveal to him what he is doing in his life. God positioned Jacob in a hard place. But that don't sound very much like God. How much of God was you looking for before your... Jacob didn't see God until he got into a hard place. Because sometimes you ain't looking for him until life gets hard. God wants to reveal his glory in you. He, he wants you to be seeking him. As a matter of fact, when you're looking for blessing in your life, what does Jesus tell you you need to do? You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. In other words, in order for you to receive a blessing, you've got to be looking for it. You have to be actively engaged in the process. Too many of us want to just walk through life and expect God to pour blessings over the balcony of heaven without us ever doing any seeking or knocking or looking. But God says, sometimes I will position you into a place where life will become hard because I want you to look not here, but here where your help comes. Because when life is too easy, you take God for granted. God reveals His presence in hard places. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? When I, when I first got into church, I, if, you, if this is the only church you've ever experienced or church like this, you will not... Uh, understand the church I came from because we would have church on Sunday nights and we called it people getting happy and them those old ladies with the beehive hairdos we called them the church of God hornet's nests 
they, they had it held up with these bobby pins, and they would come up and they, to the altar, and they'd start praying for people, and they would huck and buck in such a fashion and gyrate so profusely that them bobby pins would sometimes shoot out of their hair like a missile, and you'd be praying and dodging and praying and dodging and bobbing and weaving. And, and people would stomp and snort, and we would have people stacked up like cordwood, and we, we'd get happy. But here was the problem with that. Now, when I say a problem, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying it. But here was a problem I had as a young Christian. I began to relegate God's presence to that. I, I, I began to say, that's what it takes for me to know God was here. When people get happy. When they're shouting and there's people stacked up in the floor and we're speaking in tongues and we leave Jesus' tracks on the ceiling, that I began to correlate as a young Christian, that's what it means for God to show up because we would leave those services and say, my, 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 the Lord was in this place. Anybody that came from that background, you know I'm telling the truth. We would say, my God, God showed up tonight. And the problem with that is this. If I know he's there when I feel that, when I see that, when I sense that, then where is he when none of that's happening? Is he absent when I'm not in church? Is he absent when I'm not feeling that? Is he absent if we don't have people at the altar shooting at me? Is he not here when it's just me and him in a prayer closet and I can't even utter the words to pray and all I can do is cry and groan. Is he not here then too? But if all I can do is think that God is there when he shows a spectacle of himself, then I will miss him in hard places. I won't understand that I know God will show up in church. Listen, I've, I've been doing this long enough. I know how to get you happy. I call that woman up here right here and get her on that piano. And I get my wife up here with a microphone. And maybe get one of these beatboxers on this drummer back here. And we'll start breaking out the songs we know that makes you happy. And I'll have you on your feet, and I'll have you clapping your hands. And you know what? Some of you will be doing it because you're having a very good day. Some of you will be doing it because this has been a good month. Financially, you are good. The kids are good. You are throwing your hands up. You are praising God because He has shown up and showed off. But standing at the other end of the aisle will be somebody else standing up clapping their hands, and their kid just went to rehab. Standing in the back of the room is somebody who's about to go and get tests done at Cleveland Clinic. And they are clapping their hands. And standing up in the balcony somewhere is somebody who's going through a messy divorce. And they don't even know how often they're going to see their kids. And every person in the room is clapping their hands talking about how good God is. But it don't look the same as your good and your definition of good and where you are in your life. That's because God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. No matter where you are, if you're in a hard place, He's good. He shows Himself. He reveals Himself in hard places. Some of you, it takes... 
who am I kidding? Some of us, it takes us to get put in that hard place before we look to him and say, God, I need you. And it's not that he wasn't there. It's that we didn't see him. Because he is the God of the hard place. See, the hard places are where you make a real decision of whether you'll trust God or not. It's the hard place. Everybody can trust him. I was just talking to Pastor Ryan this morning. He just got a big promotion. You know how easy it is to praise God when he gets big promotions? I was praising him like I got it. It's easy to praise God in good places, easy places. It's tougher to make up your mind and make a real, your real decision is in the hard place. Let me explain it to you. There's a ladder where Jacob is in a hard place. The other end of it is in heaven. God is there. When God announces himself, he says, I am the God of your grandfather Abraham and of your father Isaac. He did not say, I'm your father. You know why? Because it's here in the hard place where Jacob's going to have to make this decision. It's here in the hard place where he will decide whether or not I'm going to make him my father. Because you don't just get born into this family. You get reborn into this family. Mm, I'm as full as an Alabama tick. i got to move on. Verse 18 says this. You're going to have to do something with his presence. Why would he let his children suffer? Why would he put you in a hard place? Why would he allow hard times? Why would, he, why would he let so much calamity fall to one family or to one person? Look what verse 18 says. You're going to have to make a decision in a hard place. Jacob rose up early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put for his pillows and he turned it from a pillow into a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. Do you know why he made a pillar and poured oil on it? Because it is about to become an altar. In other words, church, the hard place he was in was turned into a place of worship. In other words, you don't choose the hard place. But you can choose whether or not you stay in it or you use it to become a place of worship. See, I, I, I know it's easy to praise God when the bills are paid and nobody's sick and nobody's talking about you and, and you're doing well at work and, and the family is doing well. I know it's easy to go. But I want to know if there's anybody in the house of God that still knows how to praise Him in hard places. 
I'm talking about folk that are in trouble, but you still are going to praise the Lord. I'm talking about folk that know how to praise Him when their back is squarely back against the wall. I'm talking about folk that have lost so much that you don't think you can afford to lose one more thing, but you're going to come to church on Sunday and throw your hands up in the air and not think about everything you've lost, but fix your mind on everything you have gained in Christ Jesus and say, I might be going through a hard place, but God has been too good for me not to praise him now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, this was a subject of a a missionary journey Jesus went on. He went through Samaria. He runs in John chapter 4 and he runs into a woman at a well. He's having a, a discourse with her about doctrine and she says, well, you're a smart man. You're a teacher. You're a rabbi. Tell me something. My people say that we have to worship God over on this mountain. Your people say Jerusalem is the place where God's supposed to be worshipped. I'm confused. Tell me, teacher, where am I supposed to worship God? Jesus said the time is coming and now is. In other words, if you ain't in a hard place, get ready. It's coming. If you're not there now, you will be. The time is coming and now is. When those that will worship Him will worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, it don't matter where you are. A praiser is a praiser. Yeah. Yeah. It don't matter if you're on Mount Gerizim. It doesn't matter if you're in Jerusalem. It doesn't make any difference. A praiser is a praiser. And most people have no idea how important their praise is. Can I help you? Can I help you? See, see, that's why when you start going through a hard place, have you ever noticed when life turns on you, how quiet you get? Listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fussing at you. I'm, I'm talking with you because it's common in all of us. You're wounded. You're hurt. You're injured. You're bothered. You're in a hard place. And the first thing that your instincts tell you to do is close your mouth. You don't want to talk. You don't want to say anything. You don't want to open your mouth. You just want to sit and be quiet. You have no idea how important your praise is. You have no idea how important it is for you not to lose your voice. See, I know when I'm up under attack because I start coming to church out of ritual, not out of passion. I pray because I feel like I should, not because I want to. I read my Bible because I feel obligated to, not because I think I'm going to get anything out of it. When I start feeling like that about God, I know I'm under attack and I know I've kept my mouth closed too long. I know that I'm existing in a hard place and I'm looking at the hard place And I haven't found God yet. Is this helping anybody? Because I'm doing a whole lot of preaching. Let let me fill you in on something. If you don't know me, I'm the realest preacher you'll ever hear. Because I don't hide nothing. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't always feel like doing this. I don't always feel like preaching. As a matter of fact, I have preached with the stomach flu. I have preached with my feet and back killing me. 
I have preached mad at some of you. I've preached mad at my wife, and I have preached the gospel and liberated your kids while my own kid was in jail. I have not always got up here and did this because I wanted to. I did this because I'm called to. I did this because I'm a professional. And my praise is like that too. I'm a professional praiser. I was made to praise. And I don't stop praising just because I don't feel like praising. Just cause all hell's breaking loose against me. I don't shut my mouth just cause my day ain't going right. I'm a professional at this. This is what I'm made for. I'm going to bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all my benefits. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a pro at this. I'm a pro at this. Yeah. Some of you forget how important it is to keep praising in a hard place. Because you don't realize that when you praise him, he'll come check on you. Paul and Silas are in prison. Now this ain't the kind of prison some of y'all been in. This ain't your friendly neighborhood hokey. They about to have themselves an execution real soon over the dastardly deed of preaching the gospel. Paul and Silas are on death row and in the worst parts of the prison where the city sewers would run into where the prisoners were. This is nasty. It's fatal. It's a hard place. It's a lot harder than what some of y'all have been going through. Some of us have been going through. And the Bible says in the midnight hour. What are you you singing over there, Brother Paul? Is that page 120? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior. For Paul says, no, 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 back up. It's page 92, just a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our trouble. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. And when you hear a little prayer wheel turning, he will know a little fire is burning. And he says, and have a little talk with Jesus makes it right. And they started a worship service in a hard place. But here's what you are missing about the story because it's one thing for you to praise, but what's the benefit of praising in a hard place? Because the Bible says that when their praises started going up, something started happening to the jail cells. Because while they was down there in a hard place, their praises didn't stay in a hard place. Their praises rose up and up. Why do you think he made his hard pillows into a pillar and put oil? Because he knows that that smoke is going to rise up to a higher location and be received into heavens. And what happens when that praise made it all the way up? God looked over the balcony of heaven and says, what are they praising about down there? I can't let them praise me and stay here because I am enthroned on their praises. 
I got to come down here and check out what's happening. And the Bible said that the whole prison shook and every jail cell sprung open. Not just Paul and Silas, but everybody that heard the praises got loose that night. And the Bible says that God himself opened up prison doors because these boys started praising. Uh, why do you think the devil wants to shut your mouth? He brings hardships into your life. He brings hard places into your existence because he wants you to clamp up and clamp down. He don't want you to share nothing. He don't want you to praise because he knows if you start praising, God's about to come down and check on you and everything that's loose is about to get shook. Uh-huh. See, worship cannot be predicated on what happened. Worship cannot be predicated on what you see. Because if the devil knows all he has to do is to steal what you got, to steal your praise, he will constantly keep you in a hard place. If your happiness is wrapped up, man, I just love my house, God has blessed me. You know that roof will leak too. The wind will blow a, a limb clean through your window just because I know it's a blessing, but that blessing can turn into a money pit. And if that's all it's going to take to put you in a hard place and make you lose sight of God, the devil will never leave you alone. He'll wear out the tires on that car you love. He'll use your own kids to wear you out. The book of Daniel says that the enemy is constantly trying to wear out the people of God. It's just saying he's trying to kill them. It's just trying to wear you out. He's trying to exhaust you. He's trying to manipulate your circumstances and put you in hard places because he knows if he gets you in a hard place and you quit praising, I don't know where God is. Why did he forsake me? Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. That's why I'm giving you the formula to get out of it. Because worship brings His presence into the room. You know what happens when God arises? His enemies scatter. So that means when His presence comes into this room, everything in this room stabilizes my blood pressure stabilizes when the Holy Ghost comes on the scene my temper stabilizes when, look I got goosebumps just talking about the Holy Ghost when his presence comes into the room all them lies that they've been speaking at you and scandalize your name all that all that stabilizes that marriage problem you've been having all that stabilizes because when you're in his presence nothing else matters he blocks out supernaturally all the trouble because you know that the provider is in the room whatever you have need of he just walked into the room with it and you can't ignore him anymore when you've got your eyes on him. Worship brings him into the room. And in that room, my fear stabilizes. My anxieties stabilize. My doubt 
is replaced by faith. My, my fears have to go underneath what I now have put faith in. But let's talk about that ladder and then I'll get out of your way. There was a ladder going from a hard place to heaven. Jacob said, God was here with me in this hard place. And I didn't know it. But we're forgetting about the angels. The Bible says that there was angels coming down that ladder and going back up that ladder. And they never stopped. Up the ladder, down the ladder. Up the ladder, down the ladder. And, and, and the reason that I bring this to your attention, I wouldn't bring it to your attention if I thought it was insignificant. I don't have time to break it down theologically for you, but there's a law in, when you study the Bible called the law of first mention. And when something is mentioned for the first time, it establishes a, a system. God uses. That's why you can sometimes go to the Old Testament and find the answers in the New Testament because it was a system that was established. God was teaching us here that I'm going to establish a system that when you find yourself in a hard place, not only am I there with you, but I'm sending angels to take whatever you offer and bring it up to me so that I can take what you need and send it back down to you. And he said, I'm establishing a system on the earth that when you find yourself in one of these places of distress or famine or sickness or despair, when you find yourself in one of these places that's trying to intimidate you into believing that you have been separated from my love, I want you to know that when you send your praises up, that the angels will bring them up to me, and I will bless you and bring your blessings back down to you, and it will never stop. As long as you keep sending something up, I will keep sending something down. And the only time the flow will stop is when you take your eyes off of me and put it on the hard place but if you find me in your hard place I was thinking about this and I, well, I was working on it and I said my God I'm so busy looking at my circumstances I can't see you I'm so busy describing to you how I feel, I forget I'm looking at your face. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes in a hard place, I get so caught up in my presence, I miss his. And I'd say some of you are like that too. I don't have time to preach this the way I was going to because I'm already at 47 minutes. So let me just say that in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul is the king, and they're fighting the Philistines. I'm just going to tell you a story, okay? Saul is the king of Israel. They're fighting the Philistines, and the battle's not going well. Saul and the army goes to sleep one night. 
Saul has a son who's kind of like a captain or a general in the army. His name's Jonathan. Jonathan wakes up in the middle of the night while everybody's asleep. And he takes his, his armor bearer, his servant. He says, hey, let's go. Me and you, while everybody's asleep, we're going to go attack the Philistines while they're sleeping. <laughs> armor bearer don't even have a sword. That wouldn't really make you question your allegiance. But he said, if it's in your heart, let's do it. I'm with you. You my dog, ride or die. The Bible says they went out that night and they slew the Philistines. Took 20 acres. One man with one sword. And somebody just to count the dead bodies. I don't know what else he was there for. He didn't have a sword. They took 20 acres of ground. The rest of the Philistines heard the attack and ran. Saul woke up in the morning, saw all the dead Philistines, saw what had happened, and instead of celebrating, Saul said, curse anybody who celebrates this little victory. Nobody should eat until my enemies are completely defeated. And I love Jonathan because Jonathan wasn't there because, you know, he was out getting stuff done. Jonathan wasn't there when Saul made this decree. He was still out on the battlefield. And the Bible says Jonathan saw some honey on the ground. And he said, the Lord, won't he do it? The Lord will provide. And he took a scoop of that honey and he ate it. And the Bible says he was refreshed and he gained strength to go back into the battle. Saul held his praise hostage because life wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be yet. And he said, I'm not going to praise and I don't want to hear nobody else do it until my enemies are completely defeated. Jonathan said, God's been good. This may not be a total victory, but we got more than we started with. We got 20 acres that we didn't have this time yesterday. All because the Lord has helped me, I'm going to celebrate. And the Bible says he got, see some of us don't like to celebrate little victories because we think it's not enough to celebrate. But you don't realize that celebrating that little victory is where you gain the strength to get back on the battlefield and finish the job. And the Bible says that Saul said nobody should celebrate this little victory. Because my, my life's not what I want it to be. So why, what do I got to praise for? Jonathan says, I know I got plenty to praise for. Because I could have been dead by now. Oh, let me just talk to some of y'all. Because that ain't real enough. Some of y'all ought to be praising it because y'all ain't in jail today. Because some of y'all are like me. You know good and well. Had it not been for the Lord who was on your side. Tell me, where would you? Y'all in church this morning cleaned up and looking your best and got your Sunday clothes on, but you know good and well, had it not been for God helping you through that season of your life, you don't know where or with who or how much you would be involved. My God in heaven. Where are my real folks at this morning on a Sunday? Who knows that you'd be in a mess right now? You'd be in a mess right now had it not been for Him. Saul said, no, no, no. I'm going to hold my praise hostage. 
until the whole job is done. I tell you, I'm glad heaven don't do that. Hey, the Bible says that God sent, to, sent His Son to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible says it's His will that all should come to repentance and be saved. How many? All. He wants everybody. I think there's about 7, 8 billion people on this planet now. Something like that. Going up toward 10. Yeah, we got there's a, bunch, there's a bunch of people. There's a bunch of fleas on this dog. There's like 7 to 8 billion people on this planet. And God's goal is to save how many of them? All of them. And yet, Luke 17 says when one gets saved, God puts his little party hat on. And the angels grab their, their party favors. Woo! And heaven has a party over. over. There's like 8 billion people, God. You haven't saved them all. No, but I saved one. And we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. One ain't enough, but it's enough to party. It ain't my goal, it's not what I want, it's not my destination, but it's enough for me to celebrate because it's one more than I had before. Uh, Bible tells us that over and over again that God is with us in hard places. Yeah. Numbers chapter 21, verse 17. Israel is in their... In their in the desert fighting their enemies. And, and God told them, says, I know you're thirsty and, and your animals are about to die, but I'm going to give you water. You know how they're going to get their water? Look what it says. There the Israelites sang a song. Mind you, there was no springing up. It hadn't happened yet. It was still desert. They were still thirsty. And they started singing, spring up, oh well. And their praise produced. They received their promise through their praise. My God in heaven. So you don't wait until things change to praise God. You praise God ahead of time. Not at the conclusion, not when everything is finished. It, it may be a little praise or a little victory, but there's a lot in a little sometimes. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 51, 54 and 1 puts it like this. He says, sing, O barren one. So now we got people singing at the sand. And now we got women who is barren, supposed to be singing to get pregnant. Because you don't wait for the pregnancy to show up before you praise Him for it. In other words, He's saying sing. All of you who nobody thinks you got anything to praise for. All of you who are broke down, nobody, everybody is 
is, is looking at you and your life has been one disappointment after another, he says, don't just sit there. Open your mouth and sing. I know you're surrounded by lack. I know you're in the middle of a desert season, but don't just sit there. Open your mouth and sing. You barren one, you lost one, sing to the sand. Sing to your barren womb. God says, you magnify me and then I will manifest in your life. My God in heaven. God lives, this is my last thought, God lives in hard places. You think he just lives in heaven, but he, Jacob said he was here, and I, he was here. All I could see was the hard place. My brother's trying to kill me. I'm separated from my family. I'm sleeping in a hard place. All I can see is the hard place I'm in. Because I was so focused on it, I I missed the Lord. The Lord was here, and I missed him. Because none of that separates you from his love. If you know the story of Jacob, you know one of his sons was named Joseph. Joseph's probably the most important of Jacob's sons as far as Israel's history and what happens at the end of their story. But Joseph did not have an easy life. His brothers hated him. Threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery. Went back and told their daddy he was killed by a wild animal. And his daddy spent years thinking that was true. And that wasn't the end of Joseph's problems. Joseph was sold into slavery more than once, spent 13 years in jail for something he didn't do. He was lied on, accused of rape. While he was in prison, he helped other people who swore they were going to come back and help him. They lied and they forgot about him, left him to to rot in jail. Over and over and over again, Joseph's life is trouble, trouble, trouble. Hard place, hard place, hard place. But the Bible says over and over again, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was in jail, but the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was in the pit, but the Lord was with Joseph because he lives in hard places. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes if, if when I get to heaven, if I, if I got any kind of memory of what happens here, I don't know how all that's going to work. I'll let, I'll, I'll, I just, I, I'm just going. I, I'm just going, that's all. I just, on the first bus load up, I'm going. I wonder if I could ask Joseph when I get there, what was the best day of your life? What was the worst day of your life? And I have to imagine that he had a lot of bad days. It it could have been the day he went to prison for something he didn't do. It could have been the the day he got beat up. It could have been the day his father died. All those. But I have to believe probably his worst day was when his brothers threw him in that pit and sold him as a slave. 
And I wonder, I, w- I just wonder, because Joseph had a different perspective than I do and most of you do. I wonder if when I say, Joseph, what was your best day? If he'd say, same day. Because had it not been for them putting me in that pit and selling me into slavery, I would have never ended up in Potiphar's house. Had it not been for Potiphar's house, I'd never been in prison. Had it not been for prison, I'd never got the chance to interpret a dream. Had I not had the chance to interpret the dream, been in the right place at the right time, God was not able to promote me and elevate me into my eternal destiny. And I was not going to be able to be made second in command of the largest army in the nation. I was not going to be given permission to speak to Pharaoh and tell him seven years of plenty is going to be followed by seven years of famine. We would not have been risen to the prominence that we would, and I would not have been able to save my brothers and my father the very ones that put me in the pit I was able to be promoted into a place of prominence to save them when the time comes so yes it was a bad day it was a hard place it was a tough time but it was also my promotion into a destiny I could have never planned for myself so I just wonder under the sound of my voice today how many people need to turn their place that is hard into a place of praise. Some, I know God did not waste all this preaching I've done today. If you're under the sound of my voice and you, you're living in a hard place, it's okay. It, I told you at the beginning of this, it's okay to admit it. We're all either there, just getting out of it, or heading toward it. Such is the facts of life. I want to know if there's any people in a hard place that needs to turn your hard place into a place of praise. If that's you, would you come up to this altar this morning? I'm going to ask my prayer team to come and gather around you. You're in a hard place this morning. And you need to turn that hard place into a place of praise. place of worship. I'm going to tell you a secret. Lynn, you hear me. It's a hard place, but because God is here, you will survive. He lives in hard places. Every person come to this altar, you in a hard place, but I promise you, the Lord being in this place means you will survive. Who else? Who else? People are still coming. I know, I know sometimes you get up in that balcony, you get comfortable, but don't stay. If you're in a hard place, come get some prayer. This prayer team is primed and ready to help you pray this morning. Some of you got family members. Kim over here and her daddy's got shingles, needs healing. He's in the worst pain of his life. Turn this into a place of praise. Those of you that are praying, don't, don't be quiet. Open your mouth and give God praise. You you don't have to be loud like me. Very few are. But thank Him for who He is. Thank Him for what He's doing in your life. I may be in a hard place, but God, You've kept me. I know I wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for You.